Psalm 106, please. Psalm 106. And uh, let's begin, if we may, in verse 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirits, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. So Moses is a type of Messiah, and Moses for the Old Testament is dealing with the children of Israel, a type of the church for the New Testament. You've got a mixed multitude coming out of Egypt, which is a picture today of the church, filled with uh, believers, obviously, but also unbelievers. And that's why it's always uh, tricky when you speak to religious people who offer themselves as being believers and are not necessarily so. This past week, I was speaking to a local Christian chap. I don't know him. He goes to a Pentecostal church, and his wife is an unbeliever, and I was offering him advice. And I said to him, can you get some of the sisters from your church uh, to go and speak to your wife and try and uh, witness to her? It uh, hopefully will make things easier for you. And uh, I was offering him different tips about this and that. And I said to him, do you ever fast for your unbelieving wife? And he said, no, I do not. And I could tell he wasn't really happy with what I was saying to him. In fact, he gave me a bit of a dirty look when I first walked over to him. And I said to him, well, the best thing to do is to pray fast, intercede for your unbelieving wife and explain the penalty of sin. Uh, because if she doesn't realise that, she has no understanding as to why she must be saved. Go to Numbers chapter 20, please. Numbers chapter 20. And uh, as I was speaking to him, his eyes wandered away from mine and he was looking over his shoulder. I thought he's already switched off, not interested. Now, this is a typical problem that I've noticed many times over the years. We'll speak to religious people on the streets who start off all very well, say they are believers, they are this, they are that. But when you get into doctrine, when you get into the real meat of Christianity, they are not interested. They won't speak to you. They won't uh, engage you. They won't uh, go along with your you know, advice. They won't uh, humor you. As we say, they won't even try to meet you halfway. Put obstacles up and you're dealing with a mixed multitude. Numbers chapter 20. So uh, verses 31 down to uh, 32. Uh, the writer of this particular psalm. And we have no author. It could be David, but we don't know that. He's going back and forth to Israel's glory days. And uh, she really was a privileged uh, nation. Starts off very well, ends in apostasy. The church, uh, day of Pentecost, starts off very well, ends in apostasy. What does Solomon say? No new thing under the sun. But again, Psalm 106, then go back to Numbers 20. Keep your hand in Numbers 20. And we'll get these passages both together. And uh, they angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. Uh, Moses is also a picture of a general carrying... A disgruntled army, an army with low morale. They say apparently in Ukraine today, most of the soldiers have a low morale. They've been fighting a giant for over 18 months now, is it? Or coming up to 18 months. And if morale is low, the war's over basically. But if morale is high, you can push on. And Moses would push on so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. He had a real burden to carry because they provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips this happens many times with people uh, who have authority they sometimes overreact or underreact they sometimes misread a situation 
And uh, when they do that, it's difficult to bounce back sometimes. They'll be out of the race for a period of time. Numbers 20, like I say, Numbers 20, and uh, look at verse, thir- uh, verse 3. And the people chowed with Moses. Uh, we say they scolded him. They were buffeting him, causing him problems. And the people chowed with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died with our brethren before the Lord. Let's go back to how it used to be, which is ridiculous if you think about it. Slaves under the cosh, working day and night, dying younger than usual. And yet, this is what really happens. Uh, you come out of the world system, out of Egypt, have I called my son? And you start walking with the Lord and it feels wonderful for a period of time. And you meet somebody who's not saved or you meet a backslider or somebody who's left the faith altogether. And they offer themselves as being, I don't know, free, if you will, from the shackles of religion. But of course, it's not really the whole story, is it? They are still battling sin and their consciences are bothering them. And here the elect nation of God, keep that term clear in your minds, the elect nation of God, God's elect people, are kicking against Moses, which is a reoccurring uh, theme throughout the Old Testament. Uh, 13. This is the water of Meribah. Because the children of Israel strove with the Lord. Not necessarily Moses, but the Lord. But of course Moses feels the fallout. And he was sanctified in them. Go back to Psalm 106. So God's elect nation comes out of Egypt, like I say. Uh, some saved, some unsaved. The church today is filled with unbelievers. Uh, mixing with believers. And that's one of the reasons why you won't see revivals in any of the churches. Or in society in general. Uh, the church, and I mean the Bible believers, people like you and I that are saved, we're still too worldly. This is the problem, we're still too worldly. Uh, I think it was Ravenhill who said, uh, you have to be divorced from the world to get a blessing from the Lord. That's tough. You try and turn your TV off and keep it off forever. Turn the radio off, keep it off forever. Uh, turn your music off, keep it off forever. And just spend 24-7 with the Lord. It's going to be difficult for you. Your flesh doesn't want it. Your flesh is unregenerated. Your flesh doesn't want anything to do with God Almighty. The spirit does. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's why it's always difficult to put the flesh down. Paul says it's your reasonable service. We say be reasonable. We say don't be unreasonable. It's your reasonable service. Romans chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. To present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. And uh, it's not easy. It's not impossible, but it's not easy. But it'll be a fight of a lifetime to really overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, Go back to Numbers, chapter 20 still, and uh, I think it's verse, let's see now, I think it's 20, it's verse, uh, yeah, pick it up in verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation, like I say, type of the church for today, together before the rock, Christ is the rock of all ages, and he said unto them, Here now you rebels, rebels, uh, rebels, pretty clear term. Now again, this is the Lord's elect nation, rebels, we have them today in the church. And that's why it's always a rare thing when church is disciplined, rebels. They kick out people from the uh, congregations, the assemblies, who are causing divisions, causing controversy. It could be 101 things. And here back in the Old Testament, Moses is dealing with the rebels, and today, if you are in a local fellowship or you break bread more than yourself, uh, maybe two or three people, and something's not right, or people aren't behaving themselves, you have to deal with such people. Rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? 
And Moses lift up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the waters came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Unlimited atonement, did you notice that? The Calvinists say that Christ died only for the elect, which is blasphemy. He died for the elect, the unelect, everyone and everything. He even covered the sins of Satan. But that doesn't mean Satan will be saved. Well, of course not. He goes into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20. He's there for a thousand years. And afterwards, he's still burning. He's still in, he's still in existence. He hasn't been burnt to crisp. He hasn't been annihilated. And you speak to Jehovah's Witnesses or Christadelphians, they have a real problem with that doctrine of everlasting hell, conscience fire, a conscious fire, conscious suffering, where the worm never dies, and you're weeping and wailing day and night, and you're thinking back to yesteryear, and you're shouting and screaming, and it's just horrific, never ends. But here, uh, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the rock, uh, for today we say appropriate the atonement, call on the name of the Lord. Uh, but he doesn't do that. He hits it twice with his rod. He's angry, you see. He has an unjust anger. He can't control his temper. He's like the sons of Zebedee. And the water comes out abundantly. Verse 11. Picturing an unlimited atonement. And the congregation drank people. And the beasts, animals drank also. More than enough to go around. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron. Because you believe me not. There's your problem. To sanctify me. In the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You're out. You forfeited your right to go into the land. Aaron didn't make it. Moses didn't make it. Miriam did not make it. Israel's first family, if you will, did not make it. Still saved. And I showed you last week from Psalm 106 uh, where Aaron is called the saint of the Lord, which you wouldn't have thought so. Verse 16 but due to their rebellion, due to overacting, and of course Aaron had many sins, as would Miriam, but the Lord is no respect of persons. Also goes back to uh, uh, predestination. It goes back to uh, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, total depravity, irresistible grace, unlimited atonement, the five pillars of uh, the five pillars of Islam, <laughs> the five pillars of Calvinism. And uh, I wrote a book about that a while ago, about Calvinism, why it's not scriptural, uh, why it's not scripture. And you need to know these things if you are a Bible teacher. And uh, 13, this is the water of Meribah, which uh, goes back to the incident earlier on, which means strife uh, and bitterness as well from memory. Because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, his own people, and he was sanctified in them. Go back to Psalm 106. Let's keep reading down. Psalm 106 and uh, look at verse this time. 34. They did not destroy the nations. They're too busy cozying up to them. Concerning whom the Lord commanded them. Going back to King Saul. 1 Samuel. We did a two study look at uh, Saul in 1 Samuel. And part two will go online this week looking at uh, his refusal to obey the orders of the Lord, going back to having free will, and going back to uh, the Lord not stepping into time straight away and taking care of things himself. And he would do that with Noah's flood. He would do that with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he'll do that at the second advent. But the majority of the Lord's dealings with mankind, he doesn't do that. He sits back and he waits and he watches. 
which is a great blessing for all of us because if we step into time every time we did something wrong the earth would be full of dead bodies all over the place they did not destroy the nations children of israel the gentile nations concerning whom the lord commanded them a commandment and order but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works evil communication corrupts good manners this is why it's imperative to separate from unbelievers it's imperative not to be socializing with unbelievers i mean i know it's not always easy to do that if you work with unbelievers or if you have business arrangements with unbelievers that's difficult of course it is and the lord understands that but uh, what you don't want to be doing is having drinks or cocktails uh, with unbelievers because one drink will lead to another one compromise will lead to another and the next thing you know you are no different to the world system going back to out of egypt have i called my son and a mixed multitude coming out of egypt and it says here in uh, 34 again did not destroy the nations that's also found in the book of judges and uh, several tribes were unable to kick out all the inhabitants of the land of canaan and the lord said to them first of all this is all for you amen go and get it absolutely but of course they weren't prepared to do so they were uh, lacking faith they were sinful had sin in the camp and of course many of the tribes were unable to uh, get all of the land in type that's a picture of the believer unable to get complete control over his or her flesh he's still carrying a backpack with this or with that and he can't break free from it and that's why there's a judgment seat of christ not to judge your salvation that took place at calvary's cross but to judge your state uh not your standing to judge your works not your salvation and that's why the works first corinthians 3 are burnt not your bodies not your salvation again get it understand it there's a difference between standing and state but here the children of israel are guilty of rebellion witchcraft idolatry which we looked at last week in first samuel and we'll finish it this week also from first samuel 35 again but were mingled with the heathen mingled like uh, intermarrying and it's always uh, troublesome uh, when believers fall into the trap in fact it's not a trap it's really willful sinning when they marry unbelievers and are surprised that their marriages are a failure they can't make heads or tail of it and you've got to watch that you might uh, meet a beautiful lady or if you are a woman meet a beautiful guy or handsome guy and have a lot in common and uh, go through that honeymoon period and uh, when you're in love for the first time you know it's a great feeling but if there's nothing deeper than that if there's no spiritual connection it's not going to work it will just fall apart you can't pray together you can't read the scripture together you can't witness together i mean what else can you do together produce babies or so can the world make money or so does the world there's no connection nothing deep there that's why you are not allowed to marry unbelievers it will not work but the children of israel were wicked were rebellious and they learnt their works they picked up their bad habits like i say that's why if you are a parent be careful or grandparents or an uncle or an aunt or a guardian if you are a guardian looking after children be very careful what you say what you do because little ones always watching you 36 and they serve their idols there you are you see idolatry the main snare back in the scripture which were a snare unto them uh, the fear of man bringeth a snare it's like a trap 
you think of a wild animal being trapped, a fox being trapped, uh, and or even a wild animal getting trapped in the in the in the in the uh, in the wilderness, and uh, somebody has to go along and release the animal from the trap, from the snare. But here, this is willful sinning. The reality is, all sin is willful. All sin is willful. Uh, you will it to overeat. You will it to undereat. Don't kid me. Uh, you will it to oversleep. You will it to undersleep. Again, all unrighteousness is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. And uh, just because you don't do the big sins yet doesn't mean you won't. But the small sins are still going to cause you massive problems. I mean, look at Moses. 40 years, in fact, 39 and a half years. He's in the wilderness with about 6 million people. Think about that for a few moments. And he's General Moses. And he's a real deal. Loves the Lord he's saved in heaven today. And right at the end... <coughs> Of his time uh, with the children of Israel. I mean, right at the end, almost at the 40 year mark, he doesn't go out and commit adultery, doesn't go out and commit fornication, doesn't commit sodomy, doesn't murder somebody, uh, doesn't steal from somebody. He hits the rock twice, loses his entrance into the promised land, and he waits 2,000 years to see it. Transfiguration, the Lord says, You know what, Moses? Yes, you sinned against me and I'll deal with you accordingly, but to still love you and I'll allow you to see the transfiguration, which of course he does. And he sees uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course the Lord sees Moses and Elijah. What a wonderful picture of the two witnesses, book of Revelation. And uh, that's Moses' entrance temporarily into the promised land. But of course he gets one more chance, a book of Revelation with Elijah. And of course these two work together. But you see my point it wasn't a big sin from our point of view that saw him forfeit his entrance into the promised land, which is what the Lordship Salvation people would have you believe. It was something from our point of view rather minor, but from the Lord's point of view it was major. Hit the rock twice. And as a result of that, out of the promised land. Your brother too. And of course Miriam died much earlier on. But of course it gets worse. Verse 37. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and the daughters unto devils, human sacrifice. Their own bloodline, did you see that? Not the guy next door, or the woman up the road. Their own bloodline, their own children. And shed innocent blood, going back to the innocents, going back to the abortion holocaust. Even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. Many idols today, music stars, movie stars. Uh, politicians, money is the biggest idol today, sport isn't far behind it, and the land was polluted, and I mean polluted with blood one more 39, thus were they defiled with their own works, you reap what you sow, and went to whoring with their own inventions, go back to Psalm 100, what am I saying, I'm in 106, excuse me uh, has a scripture in mind of uh, numbers yeah, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, so due to their behavior, due to their uh, rebellion, uh, you reap what you sow, like I say, and all this is found back in the book of Numbers. But I just realize I'm back in Psalm 106. Let's continue on. Uh, 40. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, kindled like a burning fire, against his people, not the people up the road, not the people down the street. Not him or her, but his own people. Insomuch that he abhorred their own, their own inheritance, abhorred it, hates it. 
uh, Job uh, was known to hate evil and eschew evil, hate sin, eschew evil, like wouldn't even look at it, would run away from it, whereas most people run towards it to embrace it, he would run away from it. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. He just couldn't stand his own people. Imagine being a parent or a guardian and your own children <clears throat> turn your stomach so much you can't even look at them, can't even be around them, and you disown them. That's what it's like from the Lord's point of view. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, the Gentiles, the uh, unsaved people, of course. And they that hated them ruled over them. Goes right back to Book of Judges, into Daniel chapter 1, which we looked at last night or mid-afternoon yesterday. And of course Daniel and co. suffer the awful consequences of uh, captivity. And the four, Hebrew, the four Hebrew children are all castrated due to the sins of Jehoiakim and others as well. See, this is a problem of sin. It affects everyone and everything. I mean, Daniel and his friends were innocent. They were children. But due to their fathers and their fathers and their society and people in general, uh, due to compromising and embracing sin, the whole thing just imploded. And like I say, it affected everyone and every everyone and everything. Uh, 43. Many times did he deliver them. That's the mercy of the Lord found in the in the earlier verses here but they provoked him with their counsel their behaviour their own way of doing things and were brought low for their iniquity go to Judges <coughs> Judges Book of Judges is a great book to go through and in Judges let's see now what Judges chapter 2 Judges uh, chapter 2 and let's pick it up in 13 and they forsook the Lord number 1 and so Baal and Ashtoreth male and female deity Baal and Ashtoreth now Ashtoreth was a female deity and uh, for today she's uh, known as Mary in the Catholic Church Diana in ancient Greece and uh, I think she's also tied in with fertility for memory Baal is a, is a male deity, uh, going back to the Egyptian deities like, uh, let me think now, Osiris, and of course Baal, and all the other male deities, and of course these are the Jews, the Lord's people, just throwing Jehovah out the window, and worshipping Baal and Ashtoreth, or Ashtoreth, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, time after time, same thing we find in the Old Testament, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about. Slavery, off you go. So that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. They're being overrun. They can't withstand them. Too many, they're outnumbered and the Lord will not step in. With the server they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. There's your mercy. There's your grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Go back to Psalm 106. So the Lord steps in time after time. And it's true today, if you are a believer and you get into sin, and you will do, it could be minor, it could be major, 
the main sin is really compromise. That's the main sin. It's not always the big stuff or even the minor stuff from our point of view, but it's compromise. It's going along with the world system. The world don't go along with you. They won't compromise for you for five minutes. But the church always compromises for the world. And the Lord knows that. He knows we are just dust and ashes. He realizes that. But it's not good for us. It's not good for our own testimonies or our consciences. And we give in all of the time. We have power to overcome the world, the flesh and the devil. But it's going to cost you something to do so. And you're going to have to fight to achieve such. 106.44 Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And he remembered for them his covenant. Again, we say today a contract, an arrangement, his covenant. And repented, changed his mind according to the multitude of his mercies, more than one. He's a loving father. Or if you are a young child, he's a loving grandfather. He's a loving uncle. God's love is indescribable. In, uh, it's, un, un, it's, it's indescribable and unable to be measured or really comprehended. And we say, for God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten son. We always quote that passage, which is a great icebreaker, incidentally. But that doesn't really do it justice. I mean, the mercies of the Lord, the grace of God, you know, his timeless patience to all of us, all of the time. And we fail him every single moment of every single day. You know, I watch people online debating, and I know they're trying to get people saved. Well, of course, we do the same on the streets. Uh... But until you are born again, you have no real comprehension as to how great God is, how good he is, how merciful he is, how wonderful he is. I mean, I've been a believer for 21 years. It feels like just 21 days, really. It's gone so quickly. And I look at myself, as I'm sure you do, and I confess my sins, as I hope you do. And sometimes I think to myself, you know, I've made progress here, and I've made progress there, but I'm still very weak here. And I'm still pretty bad there, and I'm still pretty evil there. You know, and uh, I think it was Luther who said it's always a good thing. He used that in a sort of conditional, in a, in a sort of conditional way. It's always a good thing, he said, for sin to remain in the, in the life of a Christian. And I understand what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you were saved out of. Apparently, yesterday, Patrick went to town to do some outreach, and the local charismatic churches or local local charismatic church were in our town holding up these stupid signs handwritten signs saying Jesus loves you or something along those lines yeah. you know ask me into your heart that yeah. sort of a thing yeah. where Paul said uh, you know offer your bodies as a living sacrifice but the, the problem is these types of churches spend too much time with themselves the world is not the church you can tell the church that God loves you amen and uh, he loves you well of course and he wants you in he wants you wants you to bring him into your life well of course uh, Revelation, uh, I think it's chapter 3, it says how Jesus stands outside of the door and knocks, aimed at the church. And of course, that famous painting of uh, Holman Hunt, there's no handle. No. Did you ever notice that? There's no handle on the outside of the door. You have to ask him in yourself. He can't open the door to uh, come in. You have to open the door to let him in. That's a huge point to get down. And these charismatic churches, or you find other people on the streets, uh, using worship music what are you doing people that's for us the redeemed it's not for the lost and they're casting their pearls before a swine but they do that because they don't think that what they are doing isn't for the world the world is under the judgment of God don't you know that don't you realize that God is angry with the wicked every day he hates all workers of iniquity 
in your little cute sweet music and your you know kiddie signs being held up it just is an abomination to the lord you've got to be cruel to be kind you've got to start with the bad news and then go to the the, uh, the good news it was uh, wesley who said when i speak to an unsaved man or woman i spend 50 minutes on the law that's a long time 50 minutes if they give you 50 minutes 50 minutes on the law and i nail them down on the 10 commandments and elsewhere and then i spend 10 minutes on the gospel of the grace of god now for today you won't get 50 minutes with an unsaved man or an hour with an unsaved man you may get five or six minutes or even less than that but what i do and i hope you do the same if you, if you do street work is i spend 25 30 40 50 seconds on the bad news then i spend 10 15 20 seconds on the good news if ta- if time allows for that yes you break the ice with a you know few perhaps pleasantries a joke or two but then you get down to the meat of the meat of the matter you know, we're not here for, for we're not here for our health. You know, we're here for you to be saved. We've already been saved. We've been pardoned over twenty years ago, Patrick and myself. We start with the negative, we go to the positive, and then we leave the sinner with that to think about. But here the children of Israel back in Psalm 106 are kicking against the mercy of God. They are abusing the grace of God, and because of that, the Lord is stepping in and dealing with His own people. 45 repented according to the multitude of His mercies. Repented means to change your mind. Not turn from sin to be saved. That comes after you have heard the gospel in order to be saved. And again, I keep having to spend time discussing this. You don't turn from all of your sins to be saved. That makes no sense. It's illogical. You can't turn from all of your sins in order to be saved. You are an abomination in the sight of the Lord. That's why you have imputation given to you. That's why Adam and Eve had to wear the skin of dead animals to be fit to come into the company of God Almighty. Your good works will make no difference to the Lord's mercy or his righteousness. You have to believe on him in order to be saved. And then you start turning more of your sins. Then you put yourself under the cross. And of course, once you're on the cross, you can't come off the cross. Do you realize that? It takes God Almighty to put you onto the cross and keep you on the cross. You can't get off, you can't get off the cross yourself. Man puts you on the cross, man takes you off the cross. In type, God puts you on the cross, he keeps you on the cross. And of course you pick up your cross each and every day and you follow the Lord God. And it'll be very difficult, but it has to be done. 46. He made them all so to be pitied of all those that carry them captives. Again, the mercy of the Lord. He allows uh, those that are dealing with his own people to have a level of grace. You find that back in Genesis with uh, Joseph when he's detained and uh, he's being held due to the incident with Pharaoh's wife. And of course he doesn't want to get involved with her. On a, on a sexual level save men but of course david did with bathsheba again two different saints two different backgrounds two different stories two different uh, consequences no two christians are the same no two believers are the same that's why you should never judge a book by its cover he made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives daniel and co joseph and co the apostles and co and even today, believers living around the world, if they're living in hostile countries like Iran or parts of Africa, they are given grace to help them through. I heard a very encouraging statistic this morning. In Iran, two million people have become Christian. Now, Iran, I believe, is 80 million strong. Yeah. That sounds a bit high, 80 million, but it's a pretty substantial-sized country. Yeah. Ancient Persia, going back to the Daniel study we did yesterday, and of course Persia is now Iran and before 
Iran and Iraq uh, were carved up, I think around the time of Lawrence of Arabia, certainly less than 100 years ago, it was just Iran, Persia, yeah. then the uh, Ayatollah came along, early, early 80s, late 70s, late 70s, late 70s yeah. and of course it became Iran, no longer Persia, <coughs> but a good, a good, good statistic has come out of there recently, that 2 million Muslims have now become Christians, praise the Lord, amen, amen, amen. Uh, 47. Save us, O Lord, our God. Time is passage. Jew for the Old Testament. Uh, unsaved man for the New Testament. But in the context, historically, it's aimed at the Jews under the law. See, it's like this. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, Matthew 8. Jesus Christ, a Jew, speaking to the Jews under the law. Now listen to me carefully. There's no plan of salvation in Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8. There's no blood atonement. There's no new birth. You've got Jesus Christ being of the Jews under the law. Now get that. Get that. And he's able to preach and teach to them because they are his covenant people. They're in a relationship with the one true God. Or it's like this. Think back to maybe the 1950s, for example. 1960s, for example. Uh, Colombia, Mexico, Peru. Three Catholic countries. If a cardinal got up in those three Catholic countries 40, 50, 60 years ago when they had a real clout, they still do, but not like they once did. If a cardinal got up and started to preach in Spanish to those people uh, just after World War II and really hammered the law, really, you know, really, really, laid, really laid down the law with his covenant people, they're all Catholics in those countries, 99% Catholic, uh, that gives you a picture as to what Jesus Christ was doing back in the first century. A Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher, preaching in Hebrew and also Aramaic, no Gentiles present, about the law given to the Jews, not the Gentiles, that makes, or should make some sense as to what is going on in Matthew 5, 6, 7 and 8. Now you can take Matthew 5, 6, 7 and 8 and use it, do, use, not doctrine, <laughs> you can use it uh, devotionally for today, absolutely, but you cannot use it doctrinally for today. It's not for you. That's why Paul who enjoyed uh, Gentile citizenship. He was a dual, nationality, a dual national, if you will. He had two nationalities, if you will. He was Roman and uh, Jewish. Was able to have the best of both worlds. So just think about that next time you read through Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8, if you are a Gentile, and why you don't want to use that for doctrine. It will not work. But a Catholic cardinal, back in the day, would get up on the street corners in those Catholic countries and just preach Catholicism, if you will, and they'll listen to him because they are his covenant people. They're part of his religion, if you will. Or a Muslim, a mullah getting up in, I don't know, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia today, and preaching from the uh, the Quran, if you will. It's a covenant relationship. Not that we accept it, but the point is, it's an Arabic from a Muslim to the Muslims. That's why Paul was called, <coughs> later on, to go to the Gentiles. So just a quick footnote to drop in to hopefully help you understand uh, the background to our Lord and Saviour, Lord Jesus Christ, preaching in his ministry. Save us, O Lord our God, but of course he would and he could. Uh, these are his historical people. And gather us from among the heathen, the world system, to give thanks unto thy holy name. and the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. He's put his uh, word above his name. And to triumph in thy praise. The book of Psalms is about praise, amen? It's about worship. It's about uh, contemplating, meditating on the things of the Lord. 
These psalms were sung originally in Hebrew and Aramaic with a choir behind you. I mean, a wonderful choir. And some of the best orchestras today, they're pretty good, but they wouldn't come anywhere near this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. There you are, you see. Israel, El Shaddai, El Elohim, or El Alion, uh, um, Elohim, uh, El Gabor. This is a Hebrew book we're looking at this morning. We are just dogs as Gentiles. We're unclean people as Gentiles. And here we are reading through the Old Testament, getting a blessing because God allows us to do so. And the Jews, for the most part, couldn't care less about this book. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, not the church, not the Gentile nations, from everlasting to everlasting, like without end. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. It's a beautiful way to finish Psalm 106, which is always a great blessing to read through, preach and teach. So a couple of things and I will close. Next Sunday, we'll arrive at Psalm 107, which is book five, the fifth and final book of the book of Psalms. And like I said yesterday, during the Daniel study, I'm guessing at the most 18 months still to run, but perhaps less than that before we finish the book of Psalms. But uh, Daniel is now up and running so please keep that in prayer uh but we covered a lot we covered a lot of grounds over the last three and a half years or just over three and a half years or just over three years <clears throat> and all these passages point back time after time to the mercy of the lord his goodness his greatness but uh praise the lord we've done what 48 verses and three sundays and uh, almost two hours of study through these 48 verses. And uh, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, and let all the people say amen like may it be. <clears throat> Praise ye the Lord. So it's a beautiful psalm to read and to finish this morning. And uh, let's get busy next week when we look at Psalm 107. And keep pushing through these psalms and using common sense to apply them to our own lives and uh, carefully cross-referencing them to the New Testament without uh, falling into the pit of lordship, salvation and uh, putting people back under the law which you cannot do, you must not do and always remember the original context who is speaking, who are they speaking to what language is being used what was the purpose of that particular epistle being penned Daniel uses three languages to pen the book of Daniel who was Daniel? Who was he writing to? What's the background of Daniel? Can we get doctrine from Daniel for today? Yes and no, but it won't be it won't be straightforward. Book of Psalms, why was it written? Who was it written to? What was the purpose of writing the book of Psalms? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, who wrote them? Why were they written? What's the background to them? What's the purpose for them? Paul's epistles, who was Paul? Who's he writing to? Why is he writing those epistles? What's the purpose of the, of the epistles? If you just need Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the book of Acts, you don't need the epistles. You have the epistles to complement the Gospels. Okay? You have the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs to complement the Old Testament. There's a lot of good stuff in these books in the Old Testament. Some of the best preaching I get is from the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong. I love the New Testament. I'm under the Gospel of the grace of God as, as, as I know you are as well. But the Old Testament gives it to you like it really is. So be careful if you are a student of scripture as I am. And if you are a Bible teacher as I am. Be careful how you teach these passages. What you do with them. 
Use common sense. You have the mind of Christ, use it. Don't allow yourself to, you know, think you know more than the Lord does. You're a very, you know, you're a very carnal person if you think you do. So we'll close it there. Gone slightly over time for this morning, but God bless all of you listening in live. And uh, next week we'll come back and do Psalm 107. Uh, and also before next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll do Daniel chapter 1 and try and finish Daniel chapter 1. And uh, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up this summer online and uh, some open air videos, Lord willing, and also a lot of street work. You know, we try to get out, Patrick and I. We try to do as much as we can. We don't just sit in four walls talking about shop, you know, or patting ourselves on the back. We do go into the streets. There's no many of you do as well. And God bless you all. So we'll close it there. And uh, next week, come back and look at Psalm 107. And we'll bless this message now and ask God Almighty to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.